You're listening to the Deep in the Tank podcast with Chris Kidwell and Sam Glover. Sam, we're we've arrived at one of those days and at one of those stories where we don't really want to talk about this in the sense that uh in, in the sense that we wish this wasn't a story we wish this wasn't something that happened and uh grabbed our attention but it is and because it happened it deserved deserves our attention and that is the uh the shooting of Ahmed Arbery uh which has become a recent story even though it's not all that recent i'm going to read from the Wikipedia page for shooting of Ahmed Arbery, in part because I don't really trust most major news sources to actually uh, give a relatively unbiased outlook on this story, given uh, the racially charged and politically charged nature these things often take. So I'm going to read the first paragraph of it just to sort of uh, be clear about what exactly we're talking about. Uh, And then we'll launch into a discussion. And basically, we're going to center our discussion today around this story. Um, Okay. On the afternoon of February 23rd, 2020, Ahmed Arbery, an unarmed 25-year-old African-American man, was chased and confronted by two armed men in a pickup, Travis McMichael and his father, Gregory McMichael in Satilla Shores, a community near Brunswick, Georgia. The incident was recorded in a 36-second video by William Roddy Bryan from a second vehicle following Arbery. The video appears to show a shot fired by Travis McMichael just before a struggle ensued between Arbery and Travis grappling over his shotgun, ending with Arbery being fatally shot. And then... Skipping down just a little bit, on May 5th, 2020, the video of the shooting was uploaded on the website of WGIG, a local radio station. The video was uploaded to YouTube, and it went viral, and a 28-second segment of the video was also posted on Twitter by Arbery's family's attorney and widely circulated. Now, I read that paragraph and I think two sentences in addition to that, and immediately to me, there are several problems uh with how this has been handled that jump way out at me can you guess what they are um i can assume because uh, generally chris uh while i'm a bit more extreme in my views on things we kind of move along the same streams uh, uh i would wonder why are we just now hearing about this why were these guys chasing arbory why was a third guy uh following and recording those are the three that really kind of come to mind to me yep. at least just uh, that immediately jump out at me yep that that's i think you hit the the nail right on the head there uh those dates february 23rd to may 5th that's nearly two and a half months between the incident and the release of the video, and it's worth noting, there were no arrests made until after the video was released. There were arrests right. made on May 7th, which would have been two and a half months um, after the incident occurred. That's the first thing that is stunning to me, and we'll circle back around to that in just a moment. 
Um, sort of moving forward here, uh, the third one is actually the one I want to talk about first because I think it's not the easiest to handle, but the easiest to sort of discuss as far as where we are now. Uh, as far as William Roddy Bryan uh, being the guy who filmed the thing, uh, it came out today that he is working, uh, cooperating fully with the police. And it's worth noting that the state uh, Bureau of Investigation in Georgia has been brought in, that Governor Kemp is, uh, is, uh, has basically released the GBI in order to uh, pursue this case uh, to whatever end they need to pursue it. Uh, but Brian came out in news stories that were released today and basically said, I'm cooperating fully with police. I don't really know why I was recording the video. He's not talking about the reasoning at all. He, I mean, he has some legal things that he's got to go through as well. He may be liable for different things. We will see, but he's kind of keeping quiet about that part that, and so, uh, as far as the answer to that third issue right now, as we stand today here on May 12th, 2020, um, the, the answer is a gigantic shoulder shrug based off of all the evidence that we have. We don't know why he was recording, um, which is frustrating. It's frustrating uh, that he would have put down his phone and gone to help at the same time. Um, had there not been video, there's no telling where this story would be. I'm not saying that to sort of, uh, to sort of excuse any lack of action, any inaction on his part, but it is at least worth mentioning that because of how this case has been handled, there's, there's no telling where it would be without this 36 second video. Right. And my good faith assumption based on the claim that, uh, these, the two McMichaels uh, in question were attempting a citizen's arrest. My good faith assumption is that he was recording uh, for the sake of documentation, uh, just which in and of itself, that makes sense. I can understand why if you are a part of an attempt to uh, perform a citizen's arrest that you want to be able to document things. That part, I can look at that and be like, if that is what it is, I can at least look at that and say that makes sense. Once you're going to move outside of that, uh, I everything starts to get fuzzy, and I my eyes start to kind of cross trying to understand it. Yeah, and so circling back around to the first part of this, the 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 date issue. Um, basically, my understanding here, and I, I've I've read up a little bit on this. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I've read every single story that's come out as a result of this, but basically. Uh, in the uh, Brunswick District Attorney's Office, uh, the that that office advised uh, Glenn County Police to not make arrests. Apparently, the uh, who is it? The the DA, uh, an individual named George Barnhill, uh, had a conflict of interest. I think his kid knows uh travis mcmichael's kid or, or something to that effect that there's a conflict of interest there and he ultimately recused himself from the case um and that you know there was a uh there were some conflicts of interest there and, and that sort of delayed the arrest from taking place um to be honest that that just that doesn't hold up very well um that 
That sounds like, honestly, I, and I'm not, I, I don't want to impute motive here, but what it sounds like is you didn't want to be the guy responsible for getting someone you're connected to, getting someone you actually know uh, arrested, that you wanted to pass off that responsibility to someone else. I don't know for sure that's what it was, but that that, that that's kind of what it looks like, Sam. Right, and the co- the common refrain, uh, one that you may know the exact phrasing for, but are choosing not to use, um, uh, is a phrase uh, based out of deep South politics called the Good Old Boys Club. And as someone who lives in Northeast Mississippi, I've heard all about Good Old Boy politics for my entire life, basically. So, at first glance. Whether you're from the South, whether you're from the North, like even if you're from a completely different country, you look at that and you come to some variation of, hmm, this looks like a case of the good old boys club uh, protecting its own. Yep. You know, and with the good old boys club, um, typically when we talk about that, typically when that expression is used, uh, whether or not the people who are a part of it not realize it, that that is typically something that is charged at least in my experience, has been charged along racial lines. Um, right. You know, and that's, uh, you know, they have made the claim, um, the McMichaels have made the claim that they, you know, they would never go after someone because of their skin color. Um, but at the same time, uh, it, it's, well, well, we'll, we'll talk about, we'll talk about sort of how this fits into to some pretty, uh, tough some pretty difficult patterns if you will um in just a little bit i kind of i kind of want to work through the the details of the case here before we actually look at some macro elements if you will um and so looking at that so you've got the you've got the 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 amount of time uh that had taken place between the shooting and the arrests uh, to the state of Georgia's credit, once it was passed off to them, they handled it very quickly, um, and they're uh, they're doing exactly what they need to be doing. Um, Tom Durden took over uh, as prosecutor after Barthill's recusal. Uh, he said a grand jury is going to decide whether charges would be brought. The GBI was brought in. The arrests were made. Uh, two days after the video was released. It should not have taken a video being released for this to happen, but uh, to the state's credit, uh, once it got in their hands, they handled it as swiftly as they could uh, as far as the arrest and as far as the beginning of the, uh, of the legal process. And so that is worth noting. Um, and so we arrive at this middle section, the attempted citizen's arrest, because this is where it gets kind of murky, Sam. Uh, and the more I read about this, the more the story seems to fall apart and the more um, the more problems I, I seem to find. And so basically my understanding of this based off of the reading that I've done is that the McMichael's story is that. Uh, they thought that he matched the description uh, of a robber who had performed a string of burglaries uh, in the area 
over the preceding, I don't know if it's weeks or what exactly it is, um, but that he matched the description uh, of someone who had been involved in burglaries over the uh, past few weeks or past few days or whatever it is. Um, here's the problem with that. Uh, the only report of a theft, we're going to get to the, the ethical ramifications in just a second, but the only report of a recent theft uh, in the area was on January 1st, 2020, when someone stole a 9mm pistol from an unlocked truck outside the McMichael's home, but there was no description of a suspect in that case. No burglaries had been reported in the neighborhood at all. Oh, I, I know. I, and, and the thing is, I hear that, and I'm going to be dead level honest. This is my more gruff side. If someone says to me, well, I, my, my pistol was stolen out of my car, I look at them and I say, why did you leave your pistol in your car unlocked? Like there is like pistols, guns in general, and radios are the two things that people steal out of cars more frequently than anything else. Yep. So you brought that on yourself, but that doesn't justify it. But that's no. like you, you did it to yourself, dude. But that's ancillary at best. Yeah. What it what it sounds like, and again, I can't impute motive because I don't know for sure. But honestly, what it sounds like is. A, a you know an ex post facto justification for what they've done. Mm, yeah, I. While I appreciate your hesitation, I I think you're onto something there. It, it's you know it's something where if the story very obviously doesn't line up like that, that's that's where I think you can start looking at it and say you you really don't have this together at all. Like you, 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 you might not know why you did what you did or, it, or you did it for a reason that, you know, is, uh, well, unsavory to say the least. And I mean the very least. Um, and so the story starts to fall apart. Um, there are also security camera videos that point to Arbery, uh, visiting, uh, a, uh, a construction site. Um, the the man yeah, has been. House that, uh, sorry to interrupt. A house that was under construction belonging to one Larry English, I believe the man's name. Yep. Was. Uh, and uh, I suppose it's the English family then that has come out uh, and and basically condemned the shooters in in recent days, um, or the shooter in recent days. Um, but the Ar- the Arbery family def- uh identified Arbery as the individual who went into the construction site. And this is minutes before his killing, by the way. Um, and he leaves, he leaves the construction site empty handed. I mean, he, he, you know, you, you don't get to make the case that uh, they were making a citizen's arrest based off of him trying to steal anything. Um, you know, it's. Right. And again, I'm very sorry. to interrupt. No, you're good. You're good. The, Go ahead. the case has been made that uh, Arbery was guilty of trespassing when uh, doing so. His lawyers have noted, if my understanding is correct, that by Georgia state law, trespassing requires 
actually breaking a seal, a lock, like open some kind, some kind of actually like opening a door, basically. That if a place is more or less open air, that you can't trespass through it because you do not have to exert any effort to bypass mechanisms keeping you out. Now, granted, I can understand why a person would hear that and think, okay, now we're getting into trying to play the letter of a law against the spirit of the law. But trespassing, things of that nature, there is also the question of intent. Um, generally, like, I, I, like, if I were to see someone walking around, like, let's say, like, let's say there was a house being built across from, across the road from me. Not sure why anyone would. It's just woods and very tall grass there, and it's not a very pretty place to build a house. But anyway, if I saw that and I just saw some random person and I were out and about, like I would kind of think, well, I mean, that's weird. What, like, what do you, what possible benefit could you have? And if they lingered, I'd probably say, hey, man, like, can you find somewhere else to be? Like, what, what are you doing here? But they're, there are levels of response here that are all out of whack, basically, is what I'm getting at. Yeah, and and and, and that's the thing. Um, so I have two main sort of issues and two main sort of things that really, really eat away at me uh, with regard to this. Um, one of them is, I think, the core ethical issue uh, of of the entire thing, and the other one is a core issue of uh, sort of our modern day experience, if you will. The first and the one I want to address first is um, something you actually wrote about uh, and we published uh, Monday, you know, the, the justification or lack thereof of what the McMichaels did. Namely, um, it's not clear that Arbery did anything wrong. Um, but even if you work under the assumption that he did, which again, to be clear, it's not clear that he did anything wrong. In fact, um, I'll go ahead and say it's not immediately obvious to me that he did anything illegal. You can argue that it's dubious or even stupid to walk into a house that's under construction that isn't your house under construction, but stupid and illegal aren't the same thing. Yep. And so then the question becomes... You know, or, or or really, the issue becomes when is lethal force appropriate, right? Um, you know, when when is what level of punishment, not punishment, what level of force would have been appropriate? Um, you know, and, and so it, it's something where if your property is being stolen, uh. You know, if your property is 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 being taken from you, that does not necessarily entitle you to the use of lethal force. And that is that would be assuming the very worst possible outlook uh, of of Arbery, which once again, I don't think either of us holds. I uh, right. from my from my no, point of all. view, it, from my point of view, he's completely innocent of any criminal activity um, as far as I can tell. So. Uh, but when it and comes, my view is only ever so slightly different in that 
I have seen no compelling evidence that he was, and also it doesn't matter. Right, <laughs> right. Uh, you know, and that's the thing is, even if he was, the the use of lethal force here is totally inappropriate. We'll circle back to that in, this, in a second. Then there's the right. other issue of uh, a question that people ask and have asked with this situation and others, um, and, and it's worth asking. You know, uh, would he still be alive if he was white? Um, because this is something that is starting to become patternistic. Uh, not necessarily that I, I'm not necessarily suggesting here that, you know, white people aren't shot, that white people uh, don't suffer. Um I'm more worried about uh, some of the cover-up, if you will, because I, I, I think either through negligence or through uh, politics, there was something of a cover-up for two and a half months um, with regard to that. Uh, and also, uh, you know, it's it's something where this is not the first time that we've uh, that we've seen this where we've seen uh, a seemingly innocent young African-American male minding his own business end up being shot and killed uh, unjustifiably, obviously. Um, that That's kind of a redundancy, I suppose. Being shot in an unjustified way and there being a sort of massive fallout to it. We'll, we'll, we'll get to both of those things. Cause I, I have thoughts on both of those. Um, right. And I would only object to one uh, part of the statement made uh, that it's becoming a pattern. I would respectfully submit, and this may surprise some people to hear me say this. It has been a pattern sure. in the United States for uh, white persons to act with extrajudicial force against black persons. Uh, a famous instance of that that haunts me because of where I live and where I'm from is one Emmett Till, who was brutally murdered because he had the gall to flirt with a white woman. So uh, that aside, uh, uh, anyway, that's I don't want to get too far down that rabbit hole. Well, we'll we'll get to that rabbit hole. Uh, we'll we'll get there. Um, circling back around to the first one, um, Sam, I'm just gonna have you talk about base uh, a little bit about what you wrote about on Monday, um, because you've already sort of explored at least a good chunk of the first part of this, sort of the ethical question of whether or not it was justified and why in the world someone would think it is appropriate. Someone would rationalize. Um, someone would rationalize the killing of an unarmed person. We'll, we'll get to the racial aspect of this, uh, but the killing of an unarmed person, um, you know, even if there was perceived to have been some sort of uh, misdemeanor level offense, if you will. Right. So with the question of lethal force, there are a few things that must be noted. I am an absolutist on the right to self-defense and the right to keep and bear arms. 
And when I say I'm an absolutist, I mean that it would frankly scare most people to know what I believe that citizens should be able to own and carry on their person. Um, I also think that the right to self-defense is absolute and any person can protect themselves from anyone, anyone who is attempting to harm them or their property. So before anyone says, well, this or that, I'm far more extreme on these issues than you are. Don't try me. But anyway, all of that said, I own and carry a pistol, specifically a Sig Sauer P320 chambered in 9mm. And I carry that pistol because I believe that I have the right to do so and that no one has the right to tell me that I can't. And that gets into a lot of other things. However, carrying that pistol, aside from the fact that it's a piece of metal and polymer that contains other pieces of metal and polymer, it carries an altogether different kind of weight. There is the weight of the fact that I am holding in my hand, if I draw that pistol, the capacity to kill someone. Not hurt them, not deter them, not scare them, to end their physical life. And as a result, I and the overwhelming majority of people who own and carry a firearm anywhere in the world, we walk around knowing that we are holding the power of life and death in our hands. And when we talk to people who are considering buying a gun, we labor ourselves in making sure that a person that carries a gun knows they have a lot of extra responsibilities as a result. We tell people things like, you cannot just announce that you have a gun. You cannot wave your gun around to win an argument. You cannot threaten to pull a gun on someone just because they did something that you don't like. All sorts of various things. And even beyond that, we there are four rules of firearm safety. The first being... Every gun is a loaded gun. That is my statement of it, not the official statement. There is no such thing as an unloaded gun. You might say, Sam, you can unload a gun. That's not the point. The point is, whenever you have a gun, act like it's loaded. The second is, do not point a gun at anything that you are not willing to watch die or be destroyed. You might say, what if it's not loaded? Refer to rule number one. It's always loaded. Third, do not put your finger near the trigger or inside the trigger guard until you are ready to fire. And if you object to that, refer to rule number two and rule number one. And fourth and finally, before you shoot, before you pull the trigger, make sure you know what or who your target is and what or who is behind it. There are no situations in which those four rules do not apply. And if you break those rules in front of a gun owner, you will be berated for it. And that is the nicest thing that will happen to you. I say all of that to say most gun owners care very deeply about the safe and responsible, the safe and responsible operation of firearms. So getting all of that out of the way. We try to be very specific and very clear about what makes pulling a gun appropriate. 
when you take self-defense classes, whether you take a short like day course with the NRA, or preferably in my view, if you take a course with people like James Yeager of Tactical Response or John Farnham of DTI or John Lovell or uh, Travis Haley or any number of other people, they beat into your heads. You can kill someone with this thing. You need to think about what you're doing and why you're doing it. In the case of the McMichaels, I, I said it in the article and I'll say it again. The, Ms. the McMichaels broke the rule of stupid, uh, made famous by uh, John Farnham. Don't go stupid places, don't associate with pe stupid people, and don't do stupid things. They did all three of those things in their little traits on the road. But more than that, I think they also went above and beyond the bounds of even ancient law codes regarding the use of lethal force. And I say that because of Exodus 22. You might say Exodus 22 is not the law of the United States. And I say that's true. But one, ancient law codes inform and influence the development of modern law codes. Uh, see, for instance, the existence of common law. And secondly, uh, Supreme Court justices very early on in the United States' history regularly reference the Mosaic Law. So I think it's appropriate to reference the Mosaic Law, not as the letter of the law that we should follow today, but for following principles. And in Exodus 22, I have the text pulled up in front of me. The text is very clear. If a thief is caught in the act of breaking in and he is beaten to death, no one is guilty of bloodshed. But if this happens after sunrise, the household holder is guilty of bloodshed. That is very important. If you catch someone in the act of breaking into your home, lethal force is authorized, unless it's during the day. People argue about why that is. I referenced uh, one Rabbi Ishmael's application, there being one of certainty. Um, but essentially what it boils down to is at night, protecting yourself is very difficult. There are whole classes that you can take with very well-trained people in fighting at night. And people pay hundreds of dollars to go to these classes and learn from these people because fighting at night is hard. And even furthermore, and this is a principle that applies even in carrying firearms, you don't get to make the first move. That's the problem with being a responsible gun owner in the United States. You are always reacting, never acting first. And so all of that comes out and around to a question of did, were the McMichaels acting in a way to defend themselves? No, because they sought out the altercation. Secondly, did they catch Arbery in the act of breaking in? No. He was already fleeing the scene, assuming he was doing anything illegal to start with. Was it at night? No, it was in broad daylight. And it was very clear. Everyone could see who each person was, what they were doing, what they were carrying, and where they were going. There was no question that at any time the McMichaels could have chosen to say to one another, we know what he looks like. We can talk to the police. 
let's just turn around and go home. We're wasting our time trying to get this guy to stop. He's not listening to us. And there are going to be people that will say, well, Arbery could have turned off and ran into the woods or anything like that. Okay, fine. That's true enough. But also, Arbery's not wasn't the person chasing anyone in their truck with a gun. He didn't start the altercation. You can make any number of arguments about, well, he shouldn't have been in that house that was being built or he shouldn't have been at whatever. The fact of the matter is Arbery didn't chase anyone in his truck with his gun. He did not issue orders to stop with the implied threat of force if they didn't. And he didn't get out of a truck with a gun. And he didn't brandish a gun at anyone. That's all in the McMichaels. And again, Exodus 22 is not United States code. It is not Georgia state code. And it probably can't convince anyone to convict the McMichaels. However, by their own admission, they pursued him to try to stop him and ask questions and perform their little arrest deal. And for me, reading all of this, reading the biblical text, which is very clear, you don't have to be an expert in Hebrew to understand it. The the biblical standard, they're guilty of bloodshed. And that deeply bothers me. Well, you know, looking at this, it's, it's something where outside of where they basically have to admit the video, it's something where their words and stated intentions are really betrayed by their actions. Um, uh, you know, for everything that they say about why they did this, as far as, you know, stealing, uh, there is, there's a follow-up question of why didn't you do this instead, or why did you do this? Um, that, that can be asked. There's probably 20 of those, you know, it's, you've got to handle, you, you, you just, you have to handle that better. Uh, and that's even assuming that this wasn't uh, malicious from the very start, which I think there's an argument to be made that it, it very well could have been. But that may be taking the, the motive just a hair too far. Uh, I, 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 I don't know. Um, but regardless, this is more than just an optics issue. This is something where what happened and how it happened, and even just the little bit that we know from a 36-second video uh, completely contradicts any idea of simply performing a citizen's arrest on someone who uh, who was believed to have uh, burglarized some cars or, or whatnot in the area. Again, just taking their story, which I, I don't even believe at face value, and placing it over and against uh, the the how it was handled, how the entire situation was handled. There are some massive inconsistencies uh, between the two. Um, you know, it, it's something where, at best, at very best, their view of how to defend private property and how to handle sus- uh, who they believe to be suspects is deeply, deeply flawed. Uh, and that's giving them a lot of charity to hold that position. Right. And so, and, and this is sort of where uh, I spill over into the other part of this, the racially charged aspect of it is I think with this question, uh, 
um, or with this idea anyway, you know, we have seen in, I, I said, I said that it was beginning a pattern or we see a pattern forming in large part because there's been a relative uptick, maybe not in number of cases involving African-American, especially African-American men. Uh, but as far as coverage, certainly, um, you know, we, we see it more and more and more. Uh, and, you know, anytime anyone is uh, murdered, it should be a news story. It should be something we hear about and we talk about and, and, uh, and we sort of work through. And it should be something that attention is brought to. So uh, you don't go 74 days or more in between um, an incident happening and the beginning of the legal process. Um, but what I'm getting at is we – we get on to, you know, there's been a few of these involving um, police officers as far as whether or not uh, the shooting was, was justified, um, you know, especially with on-duty police officers. I know uh, Botham John was, uh, was an off-duty police officer, um, but we've seen several involving on-duty police officers, uh, you know, who were still in the wrong, to be clear. But you look at those situations um, and some of them were a little bit uh, more tense than this. What I'm getting at is you don't even get the excuse in this particular situation that there was any semblance of a split decision to pull the trigger. Right. You don't you don't even get that that you look at this situation uh, that someone made a decision to pull the trigger. Someone made a decision to end someone's life who very clearly did not deserve it. Um, and the situation that that led the man uh, to pull the trigger was entirely really self-inflicted, right? The, right. It, and, and actually, Chris, if I may, I, I keep interrupting you. I'm sorry. No, you're fine. Just one important point. As I, I've watched the footage a few different times and from official like statements from very different uh, pertinent law enforcement officers, it appears to be the case that the the gun was fired as a result of a negligent discharge, not an accidental discharge. There are no accidents with guns. That's a kind of unstated rule. But, um, and you might ask, well, how does, how, what do you mean a negligent discharge? Simple. Uh, the McMichaels weren't following the rules. Uh, you don't put your finger near the trigger until you're ready to fire. It, uh, as best I've been able to put together, uh, the trigger, was pulled over the course of struggling for the gun, which introduces a lot of other questions that, again, don't change the material facts. So even if you concede that uh, McMichael did not shoulder this gun, aim and shoot, 
he still acted in a way to create the situation. And so uh, some people will say that because he didn't shoulder the gun, da, 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 it's not murder. It should be negligent homicide, anything like that. He created the situation. Yeah, he, 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 he intentionally, not negligently, created the situation that led to a negligent discharge. At the very least, like, he, he brought the gun into a situation that didn't warrant it. it it's, I mean, it's, it's as simple as that. Um, you know, and there there are other things that we can look at and say. Uh, but that that's sort of the one that that's sort of the feature of this that really just baffles me is. You know, this is something that I'm not I, I don't know that it was premeditated in the sense that they they decided that day that they were going to kill him. It seems that they decided that day they were going to give him at least a hard time. Um, it seems that they were prepared to be violent if need be. Uh, you don't bring along uh, a, a shotgun at the very least by accident. Um, granted, they're pretty negligent about where they leave their guns anyway, it seems. But um you know, it, it, it it's something that they – the situation was entirely self-inflicted uh, on the part of the McMichaels. Um, it, it was something that they set up. Uh, it was something that uh, they really had complete control over. Um, and while police officers who do commit – you know, unjustified acts of violence uh, should not escape punishment for those unjustified acts of violence. Um, you know, they're they're pressed often into much more difficult circumstances than what we saw uh, with regard to the McMichaels. That being said, we we do look at this and it it becomes it shouldn't become just another in a line of shootings and a line of murders involving African-American men, but it is one more to add to what is quickly becoming a very long list, um, especially even in recent times. Um, you know, we're looking at, let's see here, the Ferguson riots. Took place in 2014. Um, after the shooting of Michael Brown. How many um, shootings? How many shootings have we had since then? Of e- even more just, than zero. Um, uh, yeah, more than zero, which is to say more than is acceptable. Right, right. Um, you know, and, and it's something where. One of the things that bothers me about this this entire situation, beyond the fact that we've got people who are being murdered, which is bothersome enough. One of the things that bothers me about this entire situation is we've got people, we've got people in our communities, we've got people in our churches, we've got people in our families uh, who will try and make some sort of excuse or try and deflect to some extent uh, the racial aspect of this uh, of this issue um, will try and deflect the racial aspect of everything going on. Um, now, to be clear, you know, black individuals are not the only ones who are being murdered. 
We get that. No one's arguing sure. that. Nobody is arguing uh, that. Yeah. Right. Nobody's Duncan arguing. Duncan Limp is someone that I'm very passionate about who was murdered in his home and who also wasn't white. Uh, to point out, well, other people are being killed too, misses the point. Yeah. And that's that's the thing is we've got we have a we have a whole string of individuals, um, a whole string of it's typically black men uh, from their late teens to their early 30s, by and large, who are being murdered for at best things that do not justify lethal force and at worst Things that don't justify any force whatsoever. Um, Ahmed Arbery was jogging. Botham Jean was sitting in his apartment. Right. And we could keep going. Um, but. We, and again, we, it's worth noting, even if. Even if. The worst case for Arbery is correct, that he wasn't just jogging, that he didn't merely go to that con- house under construction just because he was curious uh, or just because he can't wrap his brain around why you shouldn't walk on someone else's property if they don't know who you are. Like Even if the worst case is true of like he was actively engaging in criminal activity, again, nope. there's the point at which you have to stop saying, well, but what about what he did? What about what he did? He is dead. D-E-A-D. He is not alive anymore. And that is because someone made a conscious choice to act out of proportion to what he was doing. You know, the the thing that bothers me outside of the obviously bothersome part is oftentimes it's not been true in every single case, but it's been true enough to be an issue where the administration of justice has been at the very least botched Um, where in this case, this case illustrates it about as much uh, as any other one that I've seen up to this point, Um, 74 days between uh, the, the, incident uh and the arrest taking place in addition to that the vast majority of us didn't even know that this had happened until the video was released right i didn't have a clue who ahmed arbery was until about a week ago just a i guess a week to the day um and that is while, while the specifics are different from instance to instance you can look back at some of these uh instances of the murders of young black men and there are some disturbing trends that arise the the one that sticks out in my mind in part because of its relatively close proximity is with botham jean down in uh uh down in dallas um at first the investigation was was botched and it looked like they were trying to protect, I think it's, was it Amber Geiger or Amanda Geiger, the, uh, the off duty police officer that, that, that shot him. Um, uh, can I be Frank? It, it doesn't I don't matter care what her name is. The only person that should care is 
the people filling out the paperwork for her to be executed. She got a bit extreme, I know, but she got uh, 10 years. Uh, not, not quite enough in my view. And that's all I'll say for it. Yeah. It's, uh, I, you're not alone in that, in that thought and that belief. Um, although I, I will mention that, uh, the forgiveness extended uh, to her on the part of Botham Jean's brother in the courtroom uh, is, I think, a model uh, for what that should look like. But that is different than the administration of justice, too. Um, I think you Absolutely. can have. And that's beautiful and exemplary. You, you can have both. Uh, right. and, and in that case, I think we only got one. Um, but But looking at that. At that shooting, uh, you know, uh, one story came out that uh, one of the local—I don't know if it was a police department or if it was—if it was just people associated with Geiger—tried uh, to plant marijuana at the scene uh, to try and justify it in some way, which again still wouldn't justify it, even if it were true. But you know, when when people start to play dirty uh, with regard to that, that you know, that that's just another issue and ultimately i believe the texas rangers had to had to step in uh and, and sort of take over the case uh and f- finally you know it it ended up going to court geiger was tried uh she was convicted the sentencing didn't go uh, as well as uh, as well the sentencing didn't go quite like it probably should have um but she was convicted which is more than we can say for some of the individuals, uh, assailants, um, I just, Sam, that, that's the disturbing thing to me is no, nobody, nobody's arguing that nobody is arguing. First of all, nobody's arguing that anyone's life is more important than anyone else's. The, the all lives matter nonsense can, can stop. Nobody's arguing that, that young white men don't, die either nobody's even arguing that they don't die senselessly but there's a disturbing trend of of young black men who are dying who are being killed who are being murdered and and it's becoming clear that it's uh that it's not just um uh you know police officers using exceptionally poor judgment uh who are responsible um, but young black men who are being killed, uh, and beyond that, the administration of justice, uh, being botched because here, here's the thing. Here's, here's sort of where my thought is on this and I'll, I'll, I'll leave it to you to pick apart. Um, if, if justice in these situations were administered consistently and correctly, it would be less of an issue. The, the 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 justice being administered would be a deterrent but if you've got people who believe that they can murder a young black man and get away with it then what's going to stop them from doing it because right. that's the thing they're they're evil people they're always going to be evil people um they're Sorry. always they're always going to be deeply racist people but um if justice is administered 
there is at least solace in the fact that the people who do horrible things get exactly what they deserve. Uh, whereas in this case, the people who did a horrible thing were allowed to live, at least legally speaking, as if nothing happened for 74 days. Right. And I'll just, a few things come to mind. One, as you mentioned with uh, Botham Jean, did I pronounce his name correctly? You know, I, I've alternated between Jean and John. Uh, I've heard both. I, I think it's John, but I right. you'll have to, I, listeners are going to have to forgive us for any mispronunciations. Right, and I'm open to correction. I, this is the first time I've heard the name spoken. But uh, with uh, cases like John, and he is not the only person who has fallen victim to this, uh, there is a disturbing trend of when you kill someone, when one kills someone, to be more generic, of trying to create a post-fact justification thereof. Uh, there There are controversies about this even in the military. There are Times where I believe uh, both uh, the Blackwater Contractors Company and the United States military have been accused of carrying extra shovels uh, so that they can leave them amongst, uh, leave them with the corpses of people they killed so they can claim, well, from where I was, it looked like he was carrying a rifle. Uh, Again, those are rumors. I've not seen specific evidence of that. But, um, uh, with uh, black men, it tends to be marijuana. With Hispanic uh, men, it tends to be uh, usually the one I've always heard is cocaine. Uh, with uh, And you can also do the same trick with white men, too. There is always some reason that comes out after the fact that makes it okay that you killed them. Um, and it's never talked about beforehand, but it suddenly becomes very relevant once they're on the ground and a coroner has to come in. Yep. It, it, you know, it's something to where I look at this and the, the McMichaels are going to, you know, they've already put forth that they believe that he was, you know, that he matched the description of, uh, of, you know, a burglary suspect. Right. They were wrong. They were wrong, plain and simple. And whether or not they were malicious in being in wrong, even if you impute the best possible motive to them based off of what they have said, they were wrong. And if your your information, if your incorrect information leads you to take the life of another person, your ignorance of the facts does not excuse you from what you have done. I think right. one of the things that we have seen uh, is, and I don't know how many people try and make excuses. You'll you'll see a little bit of it from uh, from the corners of the internet into which people shouldn't venture, and also social media. Um, but which are all they're not the corners, but you generally shouldn't venture there much anyway. They're, they're tangential. You know, um, but you, you look at you look at it and say, well, they were just trying to do what they thought was the right thing. What they thought was the right thing was the wrong thing. And, and they need to be treated as such. 
right? Um, right. Mo- the overwhelming majority of misunderstandings do not end with a person dying on the ground. Yeah. You know, if, uh, if they're, if they don't bring a gun into the situation and they do just simply perform a citizen's arrest and perhaps drop him off at the, uh, at the police department or call the police in what you've done is you've inconvenienced his day maybe his week now he doesn't have a day or a week right i i just it that's that's the infuriating thing to me it is looking at the situation and and none of the reaction not a single bit of it makes sense the handling of it makes zero sense uh whatsoever um, and, and when people ask the question, you know, would he still be alive if he was white? Would this be handled differently uh, if he was white? It's hard not to look at it and simply say, yes, he would be. And yes, it would have been just because this is something while the specifics are different. This is something we, that we've seen time and time and time again. Right. And even even if there is definitive proof that like just somehow uh, we are able to definitively demonstrate that there is no racial malice at play in this. Like just like we somehow like sync up minds with the McMichaels and are able to infallibly determine that there, there was no racism at play and they didn't do that. They are, they are by any definition of the term that one could try to bring into play, not racist. What you still have is as much as I hate to use this term, systemic issues regarding people using connections to avoid the consequences of their actions. And so to really get into the second point I wanted to make, I understand people's concerns about the death penalty I 100% believe that those people are arguing from a good place that makes good sense, and I get it. But at the same time, some people have a manufacturer's defect and need to be sent back in. And that sounds callous, I know, but there's a tangible point at which I don't care. There are there are some crimes that I look at and I say, this warrants the death penalty. Have a high standard of evidence by all means. Require witnesses, require a strong, compelling, affirmative case for the person in question's guilt. But also, especially, and the McMichaels were not police officers, or if they were, they were not acting in if they were ever at any point police officers, they weren't acting in their capacity as such. But for instance, I've long been of the belief that police officers especially should have a lower threshold of requirements to be eligible for the death penalty in unjustified killings. My reasoning being they get put on a pedestal, they have special protections and privileges, so they should bear extra responsibilities and have uh, particular consequences because of those privileges and um, considerations that they get that are positive. Uh, With cases like this, there is a tangible point at which I look at this and I say prison isn't a fit punishment. 
And that's not because, oh, those poor things are going to be locked in a cage. It's a very practical argument. Chris, what happens to a person that's in prison? Uh, they're, they're alive. Okay, that's a start. Um, who feeds them? Taxpayers. Who gives them clothing to wear? Taxpayers. Who puts a roof over their head? Taxpayers. Who makes sure that roof over their head is to some extent or another climate controlled? Taxpayers. Who pays to have those people have armed security? Taxpayers. Do you want to know who is included amongst the taxpayers in this case? The family of the person uh, who was killed. Correct. And so, assuming this person is guilty, if they are sent to prison, who's actually getting punished? Well, taxpayers, and including taxpayers, the family. More specifically, the family. The family who has already been punished because a member of their family was unjustly killed. And so I know that that is a very controversial stance to take. Um, and I know that there are many people who, again, understandably, uh, hold a more reform and rehabilitation centric view of justice. I tend to hold a more rehabilitative view of justice, but with when it comes to crimes that harm a person or deprive them of their life, to put it nicely, rehabilitation gets taken off the table in my view. And again, I get that there are arguments around that. There are going to be arguments around that long after I'm gone, but I, I just cannot in good conscience look at a crime like this and say, yeah, prison, prison will work. Now, like they are guilty of bloodshed. They need to pay a blood price, whether that is in the form of their forcing themselves into destitution selling everything that they own to actually give an actual blood, literal blood price to that family or what a blood price is owed to the family of Ahmad Arbery, in my opinion. You know, it, it, and it's something where if that justice is administrate is administrated, like it needs to be, then it does serve as a deterrent. Um, you know, that's sort of the aspect of this that, people try and play down but i think it's extremely important is you know someone uh may be faced with a similar set of circumstances or faced with a similar set of i'm going to say choices because again i think the circumstances were self-inflicted but a similar set of choices um you know maybe six months from now and they're going to look back on how this is handled uh that they might look back and see what develops from this story, and that may be what puts them over the edge or keeps them from going over the edge and doing whatever it is they're considering to do. Um, you know, and so using punishment, even a, even extreme punishment as a deterrent, it is is effective. Is it a hundred percent effective? Of course not. You're gonna have cool. people. You're gonna have people who don't care. Uh, oh, yeah. Legitimately don't care but for most people um for most people that might be put into this set of circumstances uh that 
you know, the vast majority of people in this set of circumstances, I do believe in good faith, would not have come to the same conclusion. Um, right. You know, I do not believe that when we're talking about systemic issues, we're talking about something that 98% of the population would have cho- chosen to have done, or even 98% of the white male population, if you want to start making it more specific. But um, I do believe very much that when people are presented with a similar set of choices, they're going to look back on uh, on this. I I do want to sort of uh, sort of question you for just a second about something you said, you know, uh, uh, you, you brought up whether or not they were racist, if you will, uh, you know, arguing in good faith. And and I think it's important to argue sort of two levels here. Um, uh, you know, I, I've heard this this story referred to as a as a modern day lynching. Uh, I've seen that headline come up time and time again, and and I think there's some validity to that to a point. Um, and and here's what I mean. Here's here's where I'm going to try and synthesize both of those things. Um, I don't know that there is enough evidence to simply say uh, that the McMichaels woke up that day and they decided they were going to kill a black man. The optics of it might suggest that to some extent Uh, you, they got in their car, each of them with a firearm and they chased down a black man, right? The optics of it don't look great uh, at all. Um, But I don't know that they woke up that day and said, we're going to kill a black man. Um, I, I don't know that at the same time, I, what I don't know is if they would have, if they handled the situation differently at all, because he was black. Um, if they treated him any worse at all, because he was black, of course, they're going to say that they didn't, you know, that they didn't uh, make a point of hunting down a black guy, that they wouldn't hunt down someone of, of color, even as despicable as what they, uh, as what they've done is I, I, you know, I, I don't know that they uh, that they decided that morning they were going to hunt down someone uh, who was black. But once they're in that situation, even villains have standards. Right. Uh, But once they're in that situation, once they're in those circumstances, based off of what we have seen, based off of uh, the the racism that has existed, uh, you know, it's not it's not implausible pardon the double negative to suggest that uh Ahmed Arbery was treated differently because he was black right and right. that 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 is racism you don't have to go to the extreme of they hunted him down and killed him because he was black to suggest that they that that they were racist in how they handled it now granted I, I'm 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 sort of speaking at least on some level uh, in a hypothetical because I can't uh, I, I can't go all the way and impute motive or know what they were thinking in the moment or, or what have you. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know their background. I don't know anything like that. Uh, but at the same time, you know, when uh, if you're going to sit there and say, well, they didn't go and hunt him down, so they're not racist. That's not the only thing that racism is. It's not the only thing what, uh, as far as what it means to be racist. 
Um, now, granted, right. like racism I, can no. also. I'm sorry. No, I've interrupted you enough. Please. No, you I was just going to say, like, like I said, um, I, I don't know for sure that they didn't decide to go and hunt him down. Um, but, you know, even if it's just we handled it differently, uh, even if it's just that they that they had different sets of choices that were made based on his skin color, uh, there's still a level of racism, a level of prejudice uh, that's being displayed in their actions there uh that needs to be called out um can't again there's some level of that that unless they come out and tell us uh we're just not gonna know but um racism isn't limited to simply you know murdering someone because they are black right and as i was about to say um Racism can also look like a series of heuristics that make the decision between choosing to ignore a person or call the police. Uh, just for instance, uh, when, with calling the police to report there's some guy standing there, uh, there's the old, tr- it's a trope now, really. Uh, at least I think trope is the right word, Uh, 13% of the population commits 50% of crimes. And that's a, that is if my memory serves a misunderstanding or a misinterpretation of FBI crime statistics uh, with reference to how frequently African Americans are involved in violent crimes and saying, okay, well, because Crimes are because African-Americans are overly overrepresented as far as criminal elements go, uh, assuming that a African-American who's in a place, even that they're not supposed to be, that there must be some malicious intent there. And, And again, it can look like different things. It can look like baseline assumptions about a person. It can look like assumptions that you make about people it can look even like noticing a person inordinately and really shifting focus onto them and part of that is just heuristics in our brain uh just as a simple fact of the fa- a simple fact of the matter that humans are tribal creatures and we wrap around people that look like us So people that don't stick out to us. And that's true even when skin tones are similar. Uh, It's why familial units bond together, that sort of thing. But statistics, different realities about socioeconomic status and uh, criminal activity, those are bare facts. It is interpretation and use in my view, at least, it strays into a more racially charged element. And so we could even say, for example, we could even ask, would the police have been called if whoever made the call originally didn't see a black person, they'd seen a white person? Or or if they'd seen someone that very obviously wasn't from that neighborhood, uh, a Hispanic person, if they saw a guy in a suit even. Uh, because you might think, why on earth is a man in a suit standing around looking at a house that's not fully built yet? What's going on? There, there are so many different layers of thing going on. But more importantly to me, 
the main reason that so many people are objecting so strongly to the question of race is not because they can't imagine a racial narrative. It is this knee jerk because a person that I fundamentally disagree with is saying it. I have to take the opposite stance. Uh, people are pushing the whole Arbery was a criminal or he wasn't just a jogging element because they are opposed to a side politically, socially, whatever, that is saying, no, he was just a jogger and he was wrongfully killed. And so prejudices well, of all sorts are coming into play here. Well, and and I think that's part of the reason for our own tribe, if you will. Um, and by tribe here, I'm referring to Churches of Christ. Uh, why the Botham Johns shooting was, was so eye-opening. Um, because this is a guy who was an active member of a congregation. This is a guy who, uh, by all accounts, had a sterling reputation. Um, this is a guy who, uh, you know, I've got, uh, Kelsey's got family members who went to Harding who knew him personally. Um, that, that it hit close to home. And, and as awful as all of this is, uh, all, all of these shootings have been, um, when it starts to hit close to home, when it starts to affect your group, your people, people you know, you identify with, and maybe it's on a different plane other than racially, uh, but when it hits your people, um, that's that's when I think your opinion starts to shift on it, uh, it and you start to understand more. Um, there's a reason uh, that uh, the black community has rallied around uh, the families of those who have been victimized by these shootings repeatedly it's because they can identify with it time and time and time and time again um you know one of the one of the things that's been overblown to the point where it's a uh it's a caricature of itself is the idea that you're not racist because you have a black friend and so there's no way you can be racist um well you know i i i look at that and i I, I'm noticing some of my black friends on social media who have posted publicly in the past week that they're scared out of their minds that, you know, look at all these different things that could lead to them being killed that we uh, uh, who aren't black, uh, who don't have some of those same struggles and concerns uh, take for granted. Uh, and now we add jogging to the list going out for a run to the list. Um, and so when it hits close to home, it it's, it's eye opening. Uh, I don't, I don't know right. just, a, I don't know just a ton about Arbery's background, um, but whatever communities he was a part of, they're going to be permanently changed, hopefully for the better but permanently change, they're going to have a permanently different perspective on all this based off of losing one of their own. Um, you right. know, and, and it, sh it shouldn't take that. Uh, if that's the overwhelming message of all this is it shouldn't take any more of this for people to get the point. Um, you know, if, uh, if this was racially charged at all, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if they didn't specifically seek out a black individual to kill that day. If it was racially charged at all, that needs to be addressed. Um, right. you know, the, the ethics of the situation, 
and and the discussion about the use of lethal force need to be addressed. Um, you know, it, it, I I I sometimes think that that people uh, will take a uh, will take will take a position on the use of lethal force that's very similar to how people view like internet privacy. If you don't do anything wrong, you don't have anything to fear. That's not a position you should have on lethal force. And even if, in even fact, if, on, I, I, keep the tally going. Of times that I interrupt you. In fact, I despise if you're not doing anything wrong, you have nothing to worry about. Because it puts the burden of proof on the person being searched or being accused or being otherwise put on the spot. Or being shot. Anytime. Or, or God forbid it, of being shot. Of If someone says to me, if you have nothing to hide, then you have nothing to worry about. I immediately say no. If I have nothing to hide, you have no reason to poke your nose where it doesn't belong. Yep. It's on you to prove that you have a positive reason to poke your nose in my business, not well, on me to prove that you don't. Well, and it's a flawed premise, too, because at least in this case, people who hadn't done anything wrong, a person who hadn't done anything wrong, still had something to fear. He had being shot as a fear. Um, and so right. he I had every reason to be concerned. Yes. Um, you get you get two individuals chasing you down uh, in a truck and then you find out that they're armed. Um, I, I, I don't care what your situation is at that point. You're going to be terrified. Right. Right. Even if there is nothing out of the ordinary going on, situational awareness calls for saying, okay, there is a person who is following me or they appear to be following me. And I have visually confirmed that they're armed, even if they just happen to be going down the same road that I'm going down. Like even if nothing nefarious is going on, situational awareness, good practice says my my alarms aren't going off, but they are ready and I am cognizant. So if nothing else, ah, Ahmad was right to at least think mm, something's not right here, boys. I need to be careful. Yep, and. There's there's nothing uh, when I look at this situation, there's nothing about the situation, uh, at least inherently, that's redeeming. The only the only good that can come out of this is if behavior changes. Um, you know, I as far as I'm concerned, you know, justice needs to be administered. It's, you know, based off of the specifics of whatever is going to be. Uh, uncovered here uh, those specifics sh- should have some weight as far as what happens to the McMichaels um, also frankly um, every single person uh, who was involved in covering up uh, this uh, this incident for 74 days every single person who had an active hand in doing that uh, should lose their jobs um, you know, and frankly, all those who have who had a passive hand in doing that should probably lose their jobs, too. Uh, and, you know, you might say, well, that's easy for me to say here criticizing when I don't really have anything to lose by making those decisions. Frankly, when it comes to something this extreme, it doesn't matter. It, it's, you know, 
when it comes to something this extreme, when it comes to something that was mishandled this poorly, um, you know, when it comes to when it comes to these circumstances, extreme measures need to be taken. Um, you know, there was a uh, there's a group of largely black individuals, though not exclusively, who gathered, I think it was at the state capitol, I forget exactly where it was at, basically to um, to rally in support of Ahmad, um, the Arbery family, in the pursuit of justice. You saw a lot of justice for Ahmad signs and things like that. Um, right. You know, I, I think it's worth pointing out that they're probably not gathering uh and picketing if you will they're probably not gathering uh in protest to some extent they're probably not gathering to send a message uh if they think that it's guaranteed that Ahmad Arbery is going to get the justice that he deserves um right. and that's that's worth noticing is that you've you've got a group of people who feel like they have to do everything in their power to be heard for justice to be administered. That that's not okay. Um, right. That that. And if I may. Go ahead. Uh, something occurs to me over the course of the conversation. You mentioned uh, different uh, white people mentioning different things, and African American friends of yours mentioning that they're scared and things like that. Something occurs to me. Uh, there are there are a, there are various groups of people that have been concerned about force being used against them or different prejudices that they may experience over the course of history and that that sounds really dumb and non profound but I promise there's a point to what I'm saying here um, just uh, for instance for me. I, I own a firearm. I have very strong uh, libertarian bordering on anarchist views. Those are two things that can affect me. Um, anarchists were once upon a time, even in the United States, not very well thought of. And it is not typically a socially acceptable thing to be an anarchist. Um, if you see a person carrying a firearm, um, there's a stigma about that. There's an immediate, oh, well, what are they doing? Why do they feel like they need to carry a gun? And I think about people like Duncan Limp, who was killed because uh, the police were called and an anonymous tip was given saying that he had firearms that he shouldn't have had or something like that. Or I think of, uh, I always forget their last names, but Nicola and Bart. Uh, were two uh, persons who were accused of murder and robbery. And when they were put on trial, uh, they weren't they weren't having a case brought against them on the basis of what they did. Their political views were brought into view. Uh, both of them were communists of some flavor with anarchist leanings. And the judge, the judge even berated them for their political views. And they were they were executed by the state, not because they were guilty of a crime, although later evidence suggests that they were, but because they had political opinions outside the Overton window, so to speak. 
And I'm very sensitive to that because I think that it's wrong to kill people for their political views. And I think that it's not okay to uh, send a SWAT team after a guy at 430 in the morning and kill him because he has he owns pieces of metal that you think are scary. That's not okay. Here's the thing, though. That is an entirely different world from racial and ethnic concerns because Nicola and Bart could renounce their political views. Duncan Limp and others who have been accosted, assailed, or otherwise killed for ownership of various firearms and different components, they could get rid of them or they could even hide them and conceal them or I can hide or conceal my political views. I don't have to, I don't have to go on Facebook every day and go on an anti-government screed and I don't do that anyway, but looking at me, it is not immediately apparent that I think the state as it is now should not exist. But that's a that's an opinion that has gotten people killed in the past. Looking at me normally, it is not immediately apparent that I own a firearm. You could probably tease it out from descriptions, or if you just ask me, I tell you. But again, that's changeable. That's fluid. That's not immediately obvious. African Americans cannot change the fact that they're African American. Uh, until we get to the point in gene splicing and gene therapy where we can all just be one muddled group, it will always be obvious when I'm talking to a black person. If I can see their face, it will always be obvious. It will always be apparent when I'm walking down the street and I can see a black guy. Like nothing can change that. Like outside of advances in science that even then don't solve the problem because then you just create an ethical issue of, well, should we erase ethnicity? Well, well, he couldn't change that he was black. And to that point, um, to that point, when you talked about, you know, political leanings and property ownership to generalize, um, those are things, the merits of which can be discussed. you know, we can uh, we can discuss the merits of different political systems and we can discuss the sure. merits of uh, and, and, you know, goodness knows we've discussed the merits uh, in our society of gun ownership plenty. But when it comes to identity uh, and when it comes to things that are core, um, right, you know, ethnicity, that's. That that's not up for discussion as far as uh, you know the validity of it. It just simply is. Um, right. it, it's it's not something that I get to negotiate away, um, unless right. I'm uh, unless I want to admit to abject racism. Right. You can discuss the validity of one race over another if you're a racist. That's a thing you can do. Um, but beyond that, that that's not on the table, right? That's not something you get to negotiate away. That's something so fundamental to a person's existence, uh, that to discuss the, the merits of 
race is tantamount to discussing the merits of a person's existence. If for some unsearchable reason I end up across the table from Jared Taylor and he's talking about race realism and whatever terms you want to attach to something like that, like someone like Jared Taylor, I've read interviews with him. Uh, he he doesn't advocate for violence against African-Americans or anything like that, at least not in the interviews that I've read. It's basically just a very noncommittal, oh, no, I, I don't want to just get rid of black people. I just want them to be somewhere else. I don't know if he actually sounds like that because I refuse to actually listen to the man talk. But, um, okay, like if that is, for whatever reason, the conclusion that you come to, one, I think it's pointless to divide on ethnic lines at this point. I think ideology is much more worthwhile to separate and segregate into. But even that gets into just crazy town fantasy land stuff. Even if everyone on the planet all just suddenly somehow came to an agreement and said, all right, clearly different ethnic backgrounds cannot coexist with each other so we have drawn up a plan we are going to all just get an equal allotment of the landmass of of the world of the usable world we're not going to sentence anyone to try to live in the arctic or the antarctic and we're just going to have our own little ethno states that everyone voluntarily goes to one that's not going to happen two the sheer logistical mechanics of making that happen preclude it entirely. Like, it's just, you can't do that. Like, I can theoretically have my own little Ancapistan, even if it's just me in my house with my family saying, on my property, here are the rules, and I'm more than happy to welcome people onto my property that can abide by those rules. I can do that. We can't we can't just take the people, whatever race they are, and put them over here, and then take others and put them over there. We cannot change that. And so, well, this notion of there are things about people that cannot be changed, we have to live with those realities, and we have to make conscious decisions, I think, to treat people as individuals first. Recognize the realities of a different a group differences were appropriate, but first and foremost, treat individuals as individuals. Um, at this point, I think many would probably uh, consider progress to be just stop killing them. Right. So. And I mean that's a low bar, but I mean at it's this one. Point, uh, it's, it's one that I'd be happy to see crossed. I was gonna say we're struggling to clear it. So, well, this has been a thoroughly unpleasant thing to talk about, but it, I think it, it definitely warrants our discussion. Um, uh, Sam and I were chatting before, uh, before we got on, and the hope is to return to some of our typical fare next week. But, you know, that sort of implied in that is that, you know, we, we hope that there's not another instance like this to talk about. Um, and so before we wrap up, is there anything you wanted to add? 
No, and I don't have the energy to say it even if I did. Yeah. All right. This exhausts well, me every time. Yeah. Well, it's a uh, it's a discussion that needs to be had, and needs to continue, but we're going to be done with it uh, for for now. Um, thank you for listening to the Deep in the Tank podcast. We'll see you next time. Thank you.